It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the 71st episode of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick Braccia, Stan Dryav on deck. We're going to go over last week's Overeem versus Sakai fight card. And, of course, we're going to get into Watterson versus Hill coming up this weekend. We're going to break down the entire card for you guys and make some predictions. Nick, another win for your boy. 13 for me. Eight points for you. That means I have 13 event wins, of course, and you have eight. Nikolai, it feels good to continue to be champion throughout this entire season, even if you had a good third quarter there, Nick. The fact of the matter is Stan, if I may call you Stan. I'm very excited about the fact that you know who you're talking to, Nick. Over the last couple cards, we've pretty much picked even, but I still went 3-0 last week. And, you know, I lost on the tiebreaker fight. Which you and I disagreed on, for the record. That's exactly how that should go, right? The man who got the tiebreaker pick correctly wins the event. It's not like... Well, kind of, but you thought De La Rosa was going to be uh, Orojo, and I, I was right about that. Like, all I'm saying is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm picking tough. So get used to it, motherfucker. You know what, Nick? I, I respect you as the scrappy underdog who's fighting his way f- out of a situation where not only is his opponent more conditioned, better skilled, bigger physically, Nick, but... I get it. Taller, better looking, younger, more successful in life. I got it. You win. You win, asshole. I didn't see a single <laughs> one of those things. Jeez no, but our, fan, our, our fans do. They write in with it every single week. They talk about how handsome I am, even though most of them Everything. have never seen my face. They watch your, they watch your popular YouTube video. Nick, I got like 100 views on that thing last week. I'm just saying it's not exactly killing it, but I'll take it. I will take it. We're growing. I had pretty good picks last week. We're, I went six we're and hu- one. We're huge, in, we're huge in Brunei. 80% of our audience <laughs> is, in, is in Brunei. We actually get more support from like Sweden than you would, uh, than you would expect, Nick, which I was rather surprised. But South America, Nick, we got, some, we got some listeners from there as well. So you and I both went six and one. The card was ravaged. A lot of the fights did not stay intact. I ended up winning just because of the tiebreaker. And Nick, another very successful betting week. Most like literally every one of my parlays got ruined because one of the fights got removed. But the way that it works with parlays is if you bet on a parlay and one fighter ends up not performing that night, then you end up just having that single bet on the other person in the parlay. So I still had a really good week, Nick. 64% return on investment, $138 in profits. Nick, I started at $300 two weeks ago, and we are now at $709. We've more than doubled it. And I sent you a text being like, hey, bro, that fund we're starting, how can I get you money? How can I put on top of this? How can I add my expertise and we can win money together? And I'm still waiting for a reply to that text. So thanks. Enjoy your money. Enjoy, you know, enjoy your, th- your extra three, your three piece in a soda for everybody. Enjoy the gold shoes you're getting your daughter. Nick, I, I will enjoy all of that. But what you just said kind of sounds like if I went to Dana White, I, I wrote him a letter and I said, Dana, um, I would love to help promote MMA with you. We can go 50-50 evens and we can both benefit from this. Like, why would Dana White want to do that with me if that's I have no ri- That's ridiculous. I, have, I, make, <laughs> I, I, I pick a lot of smart underdog Nick, winners. You, and, you I, pick- I, and I'm going to have some on this card, I'm sure. You're a solid fight picker. You're a solid matchmaker, Nick. But are you a good better? Well, I'm really, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is, and I wanted to partner up with you in this. I guess you want to do some sort of like betting competition. Uh, we'll, I'm done with that. We'll talk about we'll talk about it offline. I would I would rather that we collectively run an MMA fund 
I realize you're somewhat limited on time. You have something scheduled right after this, but if you are willing to stick around for the betting segment, Nick, I am happy to do this with you, buddy. I'm happy to include you in on those profits. Let's let's talk offline about it, about whether I'm going to get in on it. I don't know if I let's whether or not I'm able to stick around for the betting section will depend on how quickly we get through everything else. Nick, we've got a pretty good card behind us. It was ravaged. There only ended up being seven fights out of, I think, 10 or 11 scheduled bouts. Uh, a couple of the fights that I bet on got removed. Uh, a couple of fights that I was excited about got removed. But I'm sure we'll see some of those fighters in the near future. Alistair Overeem came through. You and I both picked them. Came through as, I think he was a slight favorite against Augusto Sakai. At one point, Nick, in this fight, the life betting odds had Augusto Sakai as a minus 400 favorite. But, you know, oops. You, yeah, you, you and I spoke about oops. Uh, I mentioned last week about how Sakai is not used to fighting five rounds. He's never done it before. Sakai's wins are decisive wins are over mediocre competition and his super, super close wins are the two guys that are, are rung below Alistair Overeem in Ivanov and Arlovsky and Alistair Overeem, even though he had some rough moments on the feet, Sakai, you know, I mentioned how he doesn't have the power to hurt Overeem, and that's really the only way to beat Overeem. Overeem was able to get top position when he needed to, able to do maximal damage. I, I Again, we, we spoke about Overeem's ground and pound, about his submission abilities, and that's usually what he uses against these younger prospects that are not quite ready for the very, very top of the division. And Alistair Overeem has only lost to the very elite at heavyweight, and that remained the case here. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, it basically, I thought it would happen a little earlier. I thought the third. But there's a lot of heavyweight fighters where I see the heavyweight fight. And I'm like, oh, God. All right. I guess we're going to do this now. I'm never not interested to see Sakai fight. So, and that'll continue to be the case. Is Overeem a heavyweight gatekeeper? Uh, yes. To the absolute stars. Well, yeah. It's like he's keeping the gate. He's not keeping the gate to the top ten. He's really keeping the gate to the top five, exactly. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's not, I don't think he's I don't think he's going to beat those guys. He's not going to beat Miocic. He's not going to beat uh, Nganu. Uh, he maybe he, he could maybe beat Rosenstrike. I mean Rosenstrike just barely got by him. Uh, he's definitely capable of it. I think he unofficially called him out actually. Yeah, yeah. I I almost think if, I don't know what Lesnar is doing now that he's a free agent, but like Lesnar over him too would be would be amusing. I'd be but, into hey that. man, the guy Alistair over him for all the. All the controversy, all the trouble over the years, all the horse meat, everything. <laughs> Seems like a good guy. Seems like a humble dude who's always very gracious uh, with respect to his opponents. And he 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 uh, evolved and uh, he evolved his game. And he, in certain ways, he never really he never really quit improving. And I'm happy for his success. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to see the veteran doing well at this point in his career. I mean, he's 20 years deep, Nick. He he fought Shogun back in the day and lost he was to him a skin, by He was a skinny, he was, right? Yeah, he was a skinny little kid fighting Vitor Belfort. Right, and and back then, all those guys that ravaged him in his 205 pound days, they're now at the very very bleak side of their careers. Although Shogun overall is doing pretty well, uh, and Alistair Overeem is still one of the top heavyweights in the world. So. Credit goes to that guy, but it will always bother me that the man got on an extreme regimen of steroids on top of his natural athleticism and for several years there was giving out concussions and head trauma that, quite frankly, he couldn't do. 
in his current form and his in his normal non superhuman form. So I, I think you know there there are a lot of wins and and there's that K one championship that is on his resume that wouldn't have been there had he not had that steroid moment. And I and I also think actually had he not had those confidence building years, did he ever pop? Did he ever pop? Yeah, he though? did in the UFC. He did. Oh, he did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if he ne- if he never had those confidence building years on steroids. Um, I wonder if he would have had what it took to recreate his career after he started getting knock, knocked out again post-steroids. Uh, and he did, man. He's recreated himself several times. I talked last week about how he used to be a berserker. Now he's just like a really careful pot shotter. He waits for his moments. He uses his veteran savvy, his years and years of experience. The man has lost more fights than many of his opponents have won. So, yeah, Alistair Overeem's still a top heavyweight. If you beat him, you are eligible f- to fight for UFC championship within a fight or two, if not right away. If you lose to him, then you've got some more work to do. And the way that Sakai lost to him, I don't think is all that bad. I think he can still be a top 10 heavyweight in the long term, and he probably will be. He just, I, you know, I, I wonder whether he has what it takes to win five rounders against some of the very best. Well, um, the thing you might not have, have heard, uh, Sakai came out in the last couple of days and uh, he had uh, broken and separate, I believe, broken and separated ribs, mostly from uh, Overeem's knees They're nasty. in the second round. Yeah. So he fought. He he fought against Overeem multiple rounds, uh, really feeling like his his game was limited by the sheer torment and pain. Uh, if anyone's ever had a rib injury, you know what we know oh, what yeah. I'm talking about. I broke my rib in the first round of my last fight. And ended up winning the fight because I had no idea it was broken until after the fight. So there is a certain level of adrenaline that maybe Sakai with his experience didn't have in that moment. But I mean, if if we're talking about like a day after you broke your rib, you are not like you're not doing anything, let alone throwing a punch. So I do think there was an adrenaline aspect to it. I know it's a convenient excuse, but Overeem did that damage. Yeah. Oh, no. He And he gave Overeem absolute credit for that. He was just talking about his experience of the fight. He was like, he's like, all credit to Overeem. He did, he did the damage. He's like, I wish I could have done more. He was like, I, he hurt, he gave me an injury, and the injury incapacitated me. Right. Like, he, he was just, he, you know, he was, was speaking about how it was on, it was unfortunate, but he wasn't taking any. Uh, he was certainly wasn't positioning it as a fluke. It was like that. a Macy, Bar- a Macy Barber, Roxy Mataferi situation. Fuck that! That was not a fluke either. Roxy Mataferi is a better fighter than Macy Barber. Yeah, but- yeah. Macy, Macy, Macy Barber's dad had a lot to say about that. Uh, I know that. I know he did. So, uh, yeah, a really good performance by Overeem. Glad to see him doing well. Do you have anyone in mind for him next, Nick? I know you might not have the rankings in front of you because, well, you're not always as prepared as I'd like you to be. Oof. Oh yeah. At he- that's a body shot, my friend. That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, it hurt. I'm glad it hurt. I am a better matchmaker than you. Has he has Overeem fought Olianic yet? Uh, over. Yeah, he he did. He uh, survived about four minutes of a drubbing and then uh, knocked him out with knees, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to. Oh, Tan- uh, Tanner Bozer would be fun. Um, I guess so. Uh, yeah. See, uh, Cyril Gain whenever he oh, comes yeah. back. Oh, yeah. But is, do you think the UFC would want to risk Gon, who could literally be Gone. a Sorry, superstar? Gone. No worries. Uh, do you think they would actually risk him against Overeem? Like, that's exactly the kind of fight Overeem tends to win. Hot prospect on his way up. We think he could be championship material. I mean, he's fought He's fought everybody. I don't think he's fought Volkov. How about number six in the world, Volkov? That's perfect. No? Yeah, that'd be that'd be an okay fight. I mean, you'd want a cool kickboxing bout, but also Derek fucking Lewis. There was talk about Derek Lewis, Nick. That's the one to make. Isn't Lewis booked? 
Not that I know of, but in either way, I feel like we have we have two good options: Volkov and Derek Lewis. I hope the UFC matchmakers are listening. Yeah, no, Lewis is the move. Lewis is the move. I thought we'd seen that also, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I guess Sakai against Olenek would be interesting to me. Wouldn't mind seeing him against Walt Harris, another guy who recently succumbed to Overeem's ground game. Um, maybe JDS. That's the fight, but I actually think they're going to give Walt they're going to give Walt Harris a can in his next fight. Why the fuck? Like, oh, because uh, because of his daughter's passing, I could see it. Because he's been through hell, and they gave him over him in his comeback fight, and he I lost. Hear that. Like, you know, he's still a he's still a good PR story and a nice guy. So I think it all depends on how much the UFC likes Walt Harris, but I am willing to place a bet that they won't be that kind. Unless you you know how it works. Like these days, whatever matchup you could put together, you just put on a freaking card and hope that it sticks. The drop off from where Harris is at eight to like, you know. 18 or so in the rankings in heavyweight is a lot steeper drop than other divisions. That's all. I don't th- I think in other divisions, it's much, uh, it's much more difficult to um, set up that kind of fight. Yeah. And I also think in other divisions, a guy with Harris's skill level and weaknesses would not be sniffing the top 20. Well, nowhere, nowhere near number eight. Agreed. Yep. Uh, so Nikolai, let's uh, quickly go over the rest of this card. Uh, really, spectacular knockout by OSP over Alonzo Manifield. I think he was the underdog in this one. Uh, that's one of my winning bets. I think Overeem is another bet, actually, that I recommended. So, yeah, over in St. Peru, pot-shotted and countered Alonzo Manifield really well. I expected him to, you know, possibly look weak in the first round against the just hulking Manifield, but he looked good in that first round and then caught a beautiful counter. I believe it was left hook, uh, and Manifield just face-planted. Beautiful walk-off KO by St. Peru. What were oh, your yeah. thoughts? I mean, that, those were my, those were my thoughts. It was, uh, it was a cartoon knockout of uh, in, like in, inexperienced, more inexperienced dude, and someone with a greater skill set who was just ready. He made it. OSP made it look easy. Yeah, he really did. Michelle Pereira. I expected him to dominate Zilima Madaev. I said Pereira was a golden betting opportunity in this matchup. Uh, for some reason, it was close. Zilima Madaev is a shitty fighter and has no business sniffing UFC level competition. And Michelle Pereira showed that. I was a little surprised that he couldn't knock him out, but he dominated completely and paced himself. Pereira did, and that's something that was really a major weakness in his style. If he can pace himself like this against, you know, not really mediocre opposition i think that he could absolutely be in that top 10 he could do well in this division uh putting the right game plan with this level of talent and skill that can go a long way and clearly he's been working on it he didn't blow his load in the walk-in he you know only did that little bit of a spin uh, during the intro uh his capoeira dance but you know he didn't do too much to waste energy he only exploded about once maybe twice per round which was great his conditioning has looked improved in his last two fights even though he caught that disqualification loss against uh Diego Sanchez, was it, uh, in his last fight? Yep. But I, I, yep. I, I like him here. Um, anybody in mind for him next, Nick? Hmm. Uh, let me see. I think a Anthony Pettis matchup would be interesting. I know he called out, I think it was Nate Diaz or oh, George Masvidal he called out. That's not happening. Uh, Anthony Pettis might be an interesting bout for him. Joff Neal is an option, I suppose. Neil Magny, I would be into. I think that that would be a decent test for him. But yeah, I don't, I don't. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm Neil Magny, I don't fight that guy. I think, Neil, I, hear that. I think Neil Mag, I think Neil Magny deserves more. I agree. Uh, he deserves bigger names with less risk or as much risk. Yes, I hear that. Yeah, so I guess Anthony Pettis or Joff Neal would be my two I'd like, preferences. I would like to see. Uh, well, no, never mind. 
You're gonna have to do a lot of editing on the show with you throwing questions to me with me not. <laughs> Nick, me not you're supposed to be up. the resident matchmaker. I know. Of I, this I, I'm, show. I'm, I'm on. I know. I'm on. Unlim- I'm on limited sleep. Um, I would. Oh Jesus Christ, Luke! Throw that together. Uh, yeah, I, I wonder if he's ready for that shit, man. Like that. I mean, look, uh, you know, there's no reason to protect him. Uh, I don't think, but I wonder if he's ready for a Luke I mean, matchup. Luke and Mag, Luke and Magne are basically ranked the same. I mean, yeah, right but now, the style so. matchups are very different. He has a decent chance against Magne, and I think his chance against Luke dropped. But again, like you don't not book a fight because one fighter might lose, right? That's the entire point of this sport. So I'm into it, Nick. I just feel like Luke also kind of deserves somebody with a bigger name and less risk. And uh, yeah, he does. It would just be such a fun. It would just be such I agree. a fun. fun I agree. That would be fun as hell to watch the. I mean, these two guys. Uh, the thing is that Luke would be pressuring forward, and uh, Pereira would be using his lateral footwork to counter, like he does really against most opponents. Pereira is not really much of a pressure guy, so yeah, it, it's a it's a very interesting stylistic matchup. I'm I'm there with you. Oh, buddy. I know. You know, it would be it would be amazing. Book him against Platinum Mike. Oh yes, please! Oh my God, Nikolai, that is it. This is why. This is why you are the resident matchmaker of the MMA Geeks podcast. Those are two guys in the top thirty that could actually headline a card. Yeah, I'm not sure that Burr is in the top thirty, but like he should be skill wise, right? Like especially if you factor in you the way he dominated Sanchez. Uh, according to Tapology, which I know is not official, he's number seventy. They've got him ranked tw- twenty behind Semtex Daily. I mean. I hear that. I, that, I don't know. Semtex Daily is like this guy's two and two in the UFC. Daily probably had a better UFC record than Michelle Pereira at this point. But Pereira again, he has the skill to to beat a lot of these top teners. Just a real quick mention, Nick, to Andre Muniz. I called this one. I expected his elite grappling to tie up uh-huh. Bartosz Fabinski, and it motherfucking did. It's what won me this event. Brian Kelliger with a beautiful submission over Ray Rodriguez, who took this fight on like ten hours notice. Viviana Rujo did her thing and was able to avoid all takedowns from Montana De La Rosa in a fairly competitive, but uh, but but kind of you know fight what? where Montana. Well, the the second second and third rounds. Nah, you're out of your mind. Second and third rounds were not were not as like the first round was clearly a Rujo's. Second and third rounds were competitive. They were a Rujo's, but they were competitive. Uh, Hunter uh, barely, barely competitive. The third round wasn't very, and there was about ninety seconds of the second round that was competitive. That fight, that fight was a blowout. Okay, uh, Hunter Azor, dom- uh, not dominated, but had two solid rounds against Cole Smith. Uh, overall, I thought for a seven fight card, you couldn't really ask for much more. Yeah, I agree. It was better than I thought it would be. Yes, sir. Let's take a break, Nick. Let's come back and give these guys our predictions for this weekend's UFC Fight Night, Watterson versus Hill. Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, Nick and I are going to get into our draft picking competition it's kind of what the show is based on. We each take turns picking fighters that are competing on the upcoming card. Whichever of us ends up with more winning fighters at the end of Saturday night wins the week. I have 13 uh, points, 13 event wins, and Nick has eight at this point. Uh, a bunch of draws there in between. Last couple of events have been competitive. I think we're coming off a draw and a win on my part after you were on a little bit of a streak there, Nick. Um, let's get into this, buddy. I believe this week it is your first pick. Who have you got? Oh, I, I didn't know that it was my first. You pick. know what? Never there, mind, uh, Nick. It is my first pick, and I. There no. There's a. There, <laughs> I mean, listen. There's two or three. I think really strong first. Uh, first pick options. It actually makes it. 
it makes it difficult because I think there's a couple of locks on this card. Yeah, I'm gonna go with this <laughs> the six foot three, seventy five inch reach guy who's been ready to fight for a couple of weeks now and keeps getting his fights moved around. Uh, Jalen Turner. Um, one fifty-five, six-three. That's some crazy shit. Over Brock Weaver, the six-footer, uh, who had a win in the Contender Series, but uh, just hasn't looked hasn't looked ready for prime time in his uh, in any of his UFC rounds, really. And Jalen Turner has been in has earned some stripes, uh, both in victory and in scraps, like the one that he had with the very tough, and also in this card, Matt Frivola. Uh, so I just think. Uh, I don't. I just don't think Brock. Even though we won in the contender series, a decision I believe. I and I like the guy. The guy seems pretty cool. I don't think. Uh, I don't think Brock Weaver's caliber. Um, and I do think. I do think that Jalen Turner's a prospect to watch. Yeah, I'm there with you. Turner's tall, rangy striker has power and speed. Hasn't responded well to resistance from his opponents in the UFC. It's guys like Matt Fervola and Vincente Luque. But I don't know that Weaver can do can do what those two guys did. The thing is that Turner doesn't have the best chin. He's been knocked out, I think, in all of his losses. And Brock Weaver hits hard enough. So that is a possibility here. But I think outside of that, Turner should be able to do whatever he wants. His easiest path is to take Weaver down and submit him since Turner's chin is not great and Brock hits fairly hard. So I'm, it, I'm, where, 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 where did you have this? Up near this the was top my or? third pick, Nikolai. Oh, damn it. Okay. My, I mean, look, like you said, the, there are a couple of picks that could have easily been our first in this one. My first pick is going to be Alexander Romanov to beat Roque Martinez. Holy, wait a minute. That's on this card? Yeah. I thought you said there, this was a 13-fight card and you knew that. At least I think that's on the card. Oh, no, you're right. It is on the card. Yeah. As far as, far as okay. I know as of now, it is. But, dude, like things are shifting so quickly. Okay. Would that have been your first pick? I don't know. All right. Um, I am taking Romanov, who, you know, I talked about him last week. He was scheduled to compete then uh, until DeLima, his opponent, had to pull out, I think, due to testing positive for COVID. Look, he's basically the Khabib of heavyweight, or he could be, right? He, he hasn't fought truly elite competition yet. Nasty wrestling, relentless ground and pound, strikes hard and is explosive standing, but developing that aspect of his game. He's, he, he doesn't have more than one level to it yet. He can run right into the jab or right hand, but he hasn't shown uh, any ill effects from taking big shots thus far. Roque Martinez is a guy who's really fast hands, uh, huge, like heavy guy used to be probably, you know, over 300 pounds just by the way he kind of looks at this point, uh, skins a little bit loose, but he's super fast, very athletic. Uh, another guy that can throw flying knees at around 260 pounds generally kind of made his name in the Japanese team against steroid up bro wrestlers. And I think he caught lost by cut to Mirko Krokop. I like Romanov here. I think it may be a more dangerous matchup than against Rogerio de Lima since Martinez is faster and may have better cardio than de Lima. But I like Romanov to pressure, take him down and just pound him out all the way here. Uh, Roke might have some heart here, but uh, I like Romanov. I'm confident in this one. Yeah, this pro- probably would have been my number one pick. Somehow I missed that on topology. Oh, well, my loss is your gain. I do research, Nick. That's my secret. I did do research. I the problem is is when you're I go I'm go I go off two different lists. I go off best fight uh best fight odds, which is never up to date for odds, and I go off of ta- and I go off of topology and like various other sites for research. So, anyway, my bad. Anyway, my ne- my next pick, I'm going to pick uh Bobby Green to defeat Alan Patrick. Uh I think Bobby Green's looked terrific lately he's putting it all together he's got that confidence the judges aren't out to get him um i think you know what you're going to get with alan patrick he's that kind of uh he fights in kind of the brazilian fighter mold 
I think that uh, I think Green's just like crafty, uh, good good grappling. His boxing is better. I just don't. I can't see anything that Alan Patrick's going to be able to do that Bobby Green hasn't seen a million times. I think he'll. I think. Uh, I think Green's going on a streak. Yeah, uh, Patrick has a. He's got decent takedowns, good top position game. He's a very low output striker. Like even if he spends a decent amount of time on top, he never landed more than like 40 strikes per UFC fight. He lands less than two strikes per minute. Uh, Bobby Green is a slick boxer. can be super effective with the strikes, but doesn't throw enough sometimes. Uh, That shouldn't be a problem against Patrick in this matchup since Patrick throws even less. His chin is starting to falter as he gets older, but he's uh, got pretty good takedown defense and he's been on a little bit of a streak lately after going, I think, one and three or one and four last year. He is uh, streaking now at two and zero. Patrick depends on takedowns to win fights and Green should be able to avoid takedowns and outstrike him with relative ease. Plus, Patrick has been out for two years and Green has been extremely active lately. So, yeah, on top of everything else, Patrick is less experienced and is actually three years older at age 37 than Green. Uh, I like Green here all the way. I'm with you, buddy. And this was in my top four or so picks. Uh, My next, my second pick, Nick, is going to be Julia Avila to beat Sarge Eubanks. I can never pronounce her first name. Sajara. Jesus Christ. Stan Dryev. Sarge Eubanks is what she prefers to be called. I'm sticking with it, Nikolai. Goddamn. Okay. Trying to mess with my pronunciations. Do you want me to have you pronounce a Russian man's name? Avila is 2-0 in the UFC. Gritty pressure striker. She has serious power for this division. Good takedown defense. And uh, she's, I mean, look, she's a hot prospect in this division. There's no two ways about it. Eubanks is a BJJ black belt. Trains under Mark Henry and Hakarda Almeida at Nikotone MMA. Pretty strong, physically solid power. Should be at 125, but can't really consistently make uh, that weight. And she kind of gets tired uh, starting in the second round and slows down even more in the third. Avila should be able to defend takedowns, especially after the first round. And then she'll have, you know, the output, the technique, and the power standing to pick Eubanks apart. So at the very least, uh, I like Avila by decision here. Uh, Same. I had her. That was going to be my next pick. So now I'm left uh, looking at everything and being like, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? I'm going to go with... I think I'd pick the the main event. I mean, sorry, the co-main event. Kama Worthy over uh, Otsman uh, Azatar. Uh, I think that you're dealing with an aggressive fighter. Well, this is going to be a f- super exciting fight, I think. Yeah. But I think I think Worthy hits hard, and you've got I think um, over the probably in the late first, early second, uh, his opponent's going to run into something. I think is what's I think what most likely is going to happen. So this one is quite a bit further down on my list because even though Karma Worthy is 7-0 and in his last seven fights, 2-0 and in the UFC against really hot prospects, his chin has been his big weakness, right? He, I think five of his six losses, Nick, are by knockout, and Azatar has insane power. But I do re- agree with you on the pick. Karma's 2-0 and in the UFC, obviously. Used to be a journeyman, but seven-fight win streak. Uses fakes to draw out opponent's offense so he can counter, and he counters with, like, big combos with serious power. That's how he was able to get Devontae Smith. Good right kick as well. Uh, goes to the body a lot, which I appreciate. Crafty overall sounds bright and confident. I would say, like, him getting put on his back is probably his worst-case scenario, and him getting hit with a big, big bomb is probably still a concern, even though he hasn't, you know, been hurt in uh, several years. 
Azadar has serious power. He's fast and athletic, super, super aggressive, relentless boxing offense when standing, especially in that first round. And he will brawl if his opponent is aggressive. He just cannot help but counter. And he doesn't always move his head, move his head although he has been getting better at the defense lately. He's more in the back foot after the first round, uh, really looking for counters. You would think he's exhausted given all of the output he put in that first round, but for some reason he can go through rounds if he really needs to. Uh, good left hook to the body, can be taken down, but works on getting up quickly, uh, although he can get his back taken from there. He'll go for takedowns if he's hurt, and he can be dropped, but he recovers very fast because of his conditioning. Not the greatest defense, like I said. Um, the thing is that his power does stay intact in round three even. Worthy has a three-inch height and reach advantage, 22 fights to uh, Azatar's 12, almost double the experience. He beat solid prospects, and Azatar beat a mediocre opponent in the UFC thus far, and before that, not the best opposition either. I have concerns about Karma's chin against a hard hitter. Uh, that's what makes this close in my mind, but uh, Azatar is hurtable too and hasn't fought anyone nearly as good as Karma Worthy, so I am on the same page with you, just uh, we prioritize this fight differently. My next pick is going to be Sabina Mazo to beat Justine Keish. Uh, I, yep. Keish is actually like fairly talented. I think she's generally uh, kind of underestimated. She's a solid striker who tends to beat fellow strikers, but Mazo, Mazo is much bigger with more power in her legs and, and just has big reach advantage in this one. She's got a big win over JJ Aldridge that she's coming off of two and one in the UFC. So I like Mazo to continue to, her prospect run, uh, to contention in the flyweight division here. But again, her opponent is undervalued generally. So the odds might be a little too wide for my taste. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for this fight. you got Kish coming back. I think after the layoff, right. And, uh, Mazo, who I was not a believer in early on after her not very good debut, uh, has looked, uh, you know, his has looked exciting. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm stoked for that fight. Uh, next up, uh, it starts to get interesting. I'm gonna go with that cra- that crazy man, uh, Brian Barberina, uh, to defeat Anthony Ivy. Uh, Ivy, you know, heralded uh, heralded in other other fight leagues. Not not looked great uh, in the UFC. Barbarina is coming off of two fairly hellacious uh, battles that he lost, um, but he's still they're against they were against uh, pretty high level guys in Luke and Brown. Um, he's he's a pretty he's a pretty good uh, and certainly tough boxer uh, striker. Uh, he's got you know strong wrestling pedigree, and he trains with he trains with a, a at a awesome gym. Uh, what's that gym called again? Oh, like uh, the lab. Uh, no, he's at, he's at uh, what's it called? I thought that he was he at the lab in Arizona. I thought he. I had heard on a podcast that he uh, he switched gyms. Oh, Jim. Oh, I see it now. And interesting. Scott Holtzman, who also used to train at the lab, trains there. Yeah, I've never heard of them, Nick. I wonder who I wonder what the staff there is. I didn't realize he switched. Yeah, but uh, I think that's where, I think that's where Luke trains. Really, um, Vincente Luke. Hang on, normally wait a minute. In Florida yeah. with the Black Zillions? Hang on a second. There's a list of killers who are also training there. I'm seeing uh, Joseph Selecki and Scott Holtzman. Yeah, there were. I think there's a couple other names too. Okay, um, some veteran names, but yes, yeah, so they're in North Carolina. Um, 
Thank you, though, for the on the fly correction. I I think uh, I just I think that Barbarina's got UFC composure and confidence, and that he's a tough draw for Ivy. I don't think Ivy's got the kind of uh, talent that Luke has, or even uh, or even Randy Brown. Uh, so I'm picking Barbarina here. Yeah, so it turns out Justin Keish actually trains at that Arizona team as well, Nick. Uh, that's a that's a good find there. Wait, Barbarina? which Arizona? Wait, Jim O's in North Carolina. Is it? Oh, I thought that. I'm sorry. Maybe Barbarina moved. That's what it is. That's why he moved. That makes sense. I okay. Good to know. And I think Scott Holtzman. He asked Sco- you to help him move, and you didn't. You didn't answer the call. I'm not that kind of friend, Nick. Uh, Scott Holtzman actually also used to be an Arizona guy. Also moved uh, to Jimbo. That's that's very interesting. So yeah, Barbarina's not very athletic, but he has a gritty pressure style that overwhelms all but the most athletic and high level opponents. He can be taken down by guys like Covington and Leon Edwards. Like you know, not just anyone can take this guy down. He has power in his hands, plenty of heart, and uh, like you said, he trains with Jim O. Anthony Avi is solid overall, decent striking fundamentals, but in his last fight, he didn't show the best chin. Solid ground game, but wrestling isn't necessarily high level. Uh, got blasted in his UFC debut against Christian Aguilera. Barbarina should have enough experience, pressure, and power to overwhelm Ivy. But don't sleep on Ivy. He has a shot here, I think. Uh, this was, uh, yeah, this was one of my f- next few picks. Um, my next pick is going to be in the Billy Quarantillo versus Kyle, the Monster Nelson matchup, Nick. Uh, I assume this one is still on the card. It Billy, is, it is. Didn't yeah. Quarantillo have, he didn't have COVID. His corner man had COVID, right? Yeah, I, th- I think he was the corner man for somebody else a few weeks ago and he had COVID. And the UFC is happy to rebook you like a week or two after having COVID. So definitely not an issue from a month or two ago. Billy Quarantillo made his career by surviving the first round and taking over with superior conditioning and heart. Nelson has made his career by running through guys that can't survive the first round. When a good fighter gets past the first round with him, Nelson tends to get finished. Seems like a fairly open shut case here. Billy fought Spike Carlisle in his last bout, and Spike is the same sort of fighter. Super dangerous early, super athletic, but gets tired if you can get past that like seven, eight minute mark. At that point, you can have success. Billy actually won that second round off his back, just landing elbows effectively. Kyle will be the more physically imposing fighter and probably dominate the first round. I think he has a good shot of hurting Quarantillo. Uh, He's going to be more athletic, more strong here. Billy should survive that unless he takes a big bomb, uh, and 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 then he should be able to take over after that. There's a big athletic disparity here. Nelson is 10 at 1 at 145 pounds, so there's some risk. Fun fact about both these guys, Nick, both of them have knockout wins over Karma Worthy back in the regional scene, of course, who is in the co-main event above them in this card and ranked above them in the UFC at this point. Yeah, at a different weight class, though, right? Yeah, that could have been 155. That makes sense. This is at 145. Yep, exactly. Uh, so my pick. Yep. All right. I'm going to go, oof. I'm going to go with, and this may surprise you. I'm going to choose your friend, uh, Angela Overkill Hill against, uh, a favorite of mine, the karate hottie, Michelle Watterson. Um, I think it's going to be a close fight. What I, I just don't, here's the thing with this fight. I, Hill, uh, Hill is a, is a better striker. I think, um, Certainly, I think at range, definitely. And I think that if Watterson uh, tries to get in and and work her boxing game, that she's going to get clinched up. And she's strong, but she's an atom weight. I mean, like everyone says it all the time. And I, I think that she has a path to victory here. And if she can get Hill down, she may be able uh, she may be able to finish the fight. 
I just don't think Watterson's going to be able to get Hill down. Or, or if she does, that, that Hill that Hill will be able to get back up. I just think it's a case of, like, Hill, Hill's, you know, I just don't think Watterson's uh, a big enough and strong enough uh, wrestler. Uh, to do, and, and Hill's also going to know that it's coming. Uh, and I think that Hill has slowly been fighting, like, really, really uh, good competition. And Watterson has, she, you know, she kind of, she kind of peaked. She's taken some losses and some of her, you know, some of her, her marquee victories, uh, don't look so good in hindsight with fi- with wins over Paige Van Zandt and KK, uh, don't look, don't look great. I mean, she did acquit herself pretty well against Joanna G and Jenkins. I mean, she, she was tough. She gets victory points for toughness. But I think I think Hill's just on fire and has the confidence right now. And yes, there's a chance that she gets uh, taken down and choked out, especially early. I just think it's more likely that Hill's able to box her up over five rounds. Yeah. So this one is a little bit close to the heart, Nikolai. I you know met Angela Hill years ago on the local Muay Thai scene here in New York. She uh, went 16 and 0 in Muay Thai under my friend Brendan Levy at Evolution Muay Thai. She actually rushed to get a pro MMA fight before getting on the tough cast, learned MMA on the job against literally the best in the world. She fought Carla Esparza in her second MMA fight. She fought Tisha Torres in her fourth fight. Rose Namajunas in her fifth MMA fight, Nick. Like that's how in the fire she was put right away. She's undefeated in Invicta, uh, having won the strawweight title there. She kind of left the UFC after a couple of those high-level losses and and uh, uh, got some experience. Came back right into the fire again against freaking Jessica Andrade. She's got good hands, solid counters from unorthodox angles, really good slip cross that she knocked down Gedalia with in her last fight, and that was a close, controversial decision. She she deserved that. She deserved that victory. Absolutely. I agree. I, I agree that she deserved that win. Yeah, good head movement while she throws offense. Doesn't throw many kicks, even though she's a experienced Muay Thai fighter, and I think part of that is her concern about being taken down. She's susceptible to push kicks and leg kicks. Also surprising given her background and given another kind of training that Brandon Levy put puts his fighters through, but that was years ago. She hasn't trained with Brandon in ages, right? She uh, trains with um, Alliance, I believe. Uh, she has yes. she has improved takedown defense, improved Brazilian jiu-jitsu defense. Uh, not a great get-up game once she is on her back, but she is much better in top position with ground and pound than she used to be. The thing is that Watterson's not very strong in the clinch, but lands good knees. She's not very fast with her hands, right? But she's got fast kicks and will throw that left, uh, right, th- that left head kick uh, right to the head as a counter. She likes to throw that left-right kick combo, good side kicks to the knees and head. She's susceptible to kicks herself, but she's usually the one throwing them. Good footwork. The, part of the question is how well can Angie cut her off? Uh, Michelle switches stances effectively. She blitzes well, and she tends to do it when her opponents are close to the cage. Solid double under her lateral takedowns if the opponent is pushing forward in the clinch. And good head and arm throw is kind of what she's known for. And solid control on the ground. She will submit you if you suck there. Uh, Look, Angela will have the reach advantage in the legs and the arms and the edge in boxing. She might be physically stronger in the clinch, even though both of these fighters used to fight at 105 pounds, in, you know, a few years ago at least. Uh, back uh, Angela back before her her MMA career. Michelle's advantages include Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, kicking, and five round experience. Angela only really throws hands, even though she started to go for takedowns against inexperienced grapplers. That doesn't describe Michelle. Angela took several teep kicks from Luke Bume a couple of fights ago, including one to the face, and Michelle's going to be throwing those all day. 
uh, Angela was held down by Luke Bume and Gadelia in, in one of the, the three rounds against each of those girls. And Michelle's capable of doing that, especially if Luke Bume, Luke Bume was able to take you down. I think Michelle should be able to. Michelle had has solid top control and good clinch throws, and that's another kind of concern factor. Even though she's not the stronger person in the clinch, right? Um, she throws knees and lands them consistently there, and she, thro- and she throws girls regularly who are stronger than her. I just feel like Michelle has the skills where Angela is weak and should stay at a range to minimize damage from Angela's right hand. And for that reason, I regrettably am leaning Michelle's way. But here's the thing. Angela does the best when I do not pick her. And I am absolutely rooting for her given given her history as a New York Muay Thai fighter, given our, our connection to Brandon Levy, given the fact that our political leanings are very much on the same side in this kind of state of the country in the, at the current moment. But I am regrettably picking Michelle Watterson and I will absolutely be rooting for Angela Hill. Interesting. So funny that we disagreed there. Usually I'm, I'm the one that's picking Watterson. I, I was hoping going into tape watch that I would pick Angela Hill. I like, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that girl, but I just feel like the facts have to speak for themselves. And this matchup, the fact that this became a last minute five round fight where Michelle has experience, even against somebody like Joanna Jacek and Angela Hill doesn't like, that's another concern. That's a really big, that's a- Yeah. Angela Hill, by the way, has fought five rounds a couple of times back in Invicta, but you know, that was a different level. And that was a long, long time ago. She wasn't, you know, she hasn't prepared for a five round fight in years. So yeah, man, um, I definitely hear you on the pick though. I think the, the odds are rightly close here. Angela Hill has the, I think she has the athleticism and strength uh, edge here, which could help her avoid takedowns. But yeah, I'm, I'm going with Michelle, regrettably. My next pick, Nikolai, is going to be in the Ed Herman, Mike Rodriguez matchup. Ed Herman, he's fascinating in that, like the, the thing that brought him to the show, the thing that brought him to the UFC and gave him success early in his career is the opposite of what he does now, right? He used to be a solid wrestler and slick grappler at middleweight. Now he throws heavy punches in slow motion, uh, holds the clinch in dirty boxes from there at light heavyweight. He's gotten veteran savvy, but stopped doing what brought him to the dance basically, right? Rodriguez is a hard, fast puncher, good kicks and knees, six, four with an 82 inch reach, gets him, Gets up from takedowns fairly quickly, but gives up plenty of takedowns. So his wrestling isn't very good. And he's coming off of, uh, you know, a, a knockout loss a couple of fights ago, even though he was able to uh, do well in his last fight, winning by first round knockout against a mediocre opponent. Um, Rodriguez gives up plenty of takedowns. And if Ed Herman was willing to go for takedowns, he have a good chance here. But both guys have power. Um, both ha- guys have effective clinch games. Ed can get takedowns and he can catch Mike with a bomb, but I wouldn't bet on it. It could go either way, but I'll side with a much faster, much bigger man who is also eight years younger. Uh, I was, I'm picking Ed Herman in this fight because he's know. awesome. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> I'm just right here. Stan is wrongly <laughs> picked. I hope you're right, buddy. Picked. I do. Although I like Mike Rodriguez too. Uh, picking Rodriguez. Okay. Uh, next pick, I'm going to go with my girl, Roxanne Mataferi, to defeat Andrea Lee. Uh, she's not favored here. Here's where I think the difference is. Lee, um, only her takedown defense is like 61%. And Lee's a really, really good striker. She's a better striker than Roxy Mataferi, like no doubt. But she's not very big. Um, you know, she's, and I think, I think that, uh, I think that Roxanne's going to be able to cut her off. And unlike some of the, the stronger, 
uh, girl, bigger, stronger girls that Roxanne has fought recently, um, like Jennifer Maya and Lauren Murphy. I think Roxy will be able to get Andrea Lee down. And when Roxy can spend uh, half, you know, if all she has to do is spend over half of two rounds, um, keeping keeping Lee down and drop, you know, and dropping some ground and pound, um, and not getting uh two you know two and two pieced up and also she she moves more much more quickly to get those takedowns if she does see herself getting pieced up she I think is very cognizant of MMA scoring. Um and I think I think Andrea Lee um might might be uh overall you know the better fighter and certainly at their ages with the greater upside at this point. But I think this is a fight where where Roxy can use her craftiness um and get the fight to the ground in each round. And if she does that, I think she, I think she can win the decision. Yeah, this is actually a rematch, rematch, Nick. Uh, when Lee was in her third pro MMA fight, and Modafari was eleven years and twenty-seven fights into her career, it was still a split decision, though, for Roxy back then, Nick. I know that both girls. Well, have, yeah, but that's a dif- that's a different Roxy. That's not Syndicate Roxy. That's like, true, but that's also that was also a two and zero Andrea Lee. Um, Lee gave up nine takedowns in her last three fights. To your point, I. Absolutely. By the way, I, I think the odds are way too wide on this one, um, but she will be more athletic and probably able to get up if Roxanne does put her down. I just feel like Roxanne's sort of takedowns are the kinds that Lee should be able to avoid against the fence, whereas in the middle of the cage is where Lee can get taken down. Um, I think Lee can walk away with at least two rounds in this one, but it's going to be close. And and I agree with you that the odds are definitely too lopsided. Um, I, I thought that I might end up picking Matafari because of the takedown game. I just feel like Matafari doesn't beat Lee's level, Lee level competition. She beats girls that are on their way up, but not quite ready for the big time, not quite ready for the top 15. And Andrea Lee is entrenched in that top 15. And when she did lose, she lost two split decisions to two of the best girls in the division. So I am favoring Lee by a small margin, but I'm going to be rooting for Roxy. Although, I, again, I, I like Lee a lot as well. Um, my final pick, Nikolai, before you pick the tiebreaker, is going to be in the Tyson Nam versus Matt Schnell matchup. This one's obviously super tight in the odds. Um, Matt Schnell is coming off, uh, off of a knockout loss. Skill for skill, I think Schnell is one of the most talented flyweights. He's extremely fast, really sharp boxing, great BJJ. Even off his back, he can catch triangles against you know good level of opposition. The problem is that he's got a shaky chin, and he can't take a clean shot from a heavy hitter. Nam is one of the biggest and hardest-hitting flyweights, and his takedown defense is phenomenal. But his output is so low that he can get outworked to a decision, right? I just think Nam needs to counter Schnell and Schnell will give him a lot to counter. Schnell has a big ground game advantage, but now Nam has really good takedown defense and he's never been submitted in his 30 fight, um, 30 fight career. For those reasons, I'm picking the slower, less skilled Nam to land a clean shot at some point in those 15 minutes. Unfortunately, that's all it takes against Schnell these days, but Schnell is skill wise leagues above Tyson Nam. Uh, interesting. Interesting. I, I had this pick, uh, obviously very, very late. Uh, also, uh, everyone in topology, I believe, is favoring Schnell. Um, yeah, I don't know. You made a you made a pretty good case there. Um, I think so. It's this is the last pick. It's not a tiebreaker. This is the last pick exactly. The tiebreaker is in the Roosevelt Roberts Matt Frivola matchup, which you get Wait, to make. Oh, so that's that's mine. Yeah, my, so oof, this is a tough, tough, tough one. I here's the thing: Roosevelt Roberts coming off of a loss, right? 
Mavrovol is not the kind of guy I want to fight after I've just gotten beat. Like, yeah. he's tough. I'm... I'm going to go... I like Roosevelt Roberts. I'm going to go with Matt Frivoli here. Yeah, um, I ended up with the same pick, but I see a lot of risk here. Frivola, he's got like this... No, oh, ton, tons of risk. That's why it's a tiebreaker, yeah. you yeah, j- yeah. jabroni. Jeez, settle down, fella. is a relentless pressure wrestle boxer. He's got plenty of heart, shoots and reshoots for a takedown if the first one gets defended. Very experienced, beating much taller prospects with wins over Jalen Turner and Luis Pena. And Roosevelt Roberts is a much taller man who, you know, at least used to be looked at as a prospect. He's 5-2 and two under the UFC banner, including the Contender Series. His wins are over barely UFC-level competition. Brock Weaver, Alexander Yakovlev, Thomas Gifford, Daryl Horcher. I think most of these guys have washed out of the UFC, and uh, Brock Weaver may wash out of the UFC after uh, this weekend. He lost to two experienced gritty veterans in Vince Pichel and Jim Miller. He's got a solid guillotine choke, and he's a pretty good range boxer. He's tall for the lightweight division at 6'2". Um, he can be backed up and pressured, though. I think the way Favola shoots makes him susceptible to Robert's guillotine, but is not the type to give into a submission if there's any hint of a possibility of getting out. Roberts is susceptible to pressure grappling, and Favola is exactly that. For that reason, I favor Frivola's pressure, grit, and experience against tall opponents. But Robert's guillotine and flying knee are my big concerns against the guy who's going to just dive into those takedowns. So, uh, again, plenty of risk. There's a reason it is the very last pick, but uh, but I'm with you there, buddy. So, quickly, I'm going to run through our picks here. My first pick was Alexander Romanov. Second, I had Julia Avila. My third pick was Sabina Mazo. Fourth, I had Billy Quarantillo. My fifth pick was Mike Rodriguez. And finally, sixth, I had Tyson Nam. Your picks are uh, Jalen Turner, Bobby Green. Your third pick was Karma Worthy. Fourth, you took Brian Barbarina. Your fifth pick was Michelle Watterson. Sixth, you had uh, Roxanne Modafari. And finally, Matt Favola is your tiebreaker pick. So basically, if we each have the same number of correct picks outside of that Favola-Roosevelt-Roberts matchup, then... If Fervola wins, you win the week. If Roosevelt Robert, Roberts wins, I win the week. Nikolai? Yeah, I don't feel great about this one, to be honest. I have been picking confidently, but I think you just had one of your better analysis breakdowns. We each only have one wrong pick for the last two weekends, so we're hoping to keep that going. But this one, Nick, even though there are a bunch of lopsided odds here, I think this is really hard to predict this event, and I wouldn't be surprised. We could really just hard. as easily, yeah, we could just easily, easily go like six and seven in this event, just as we can go eight and four so it is it this is, kind is of one a- of those cards like listen this is a card that lost its. sorry i interrupted you that was rude of me but i'm gonna keep talking um this is a card that lost its main event and it still feel it it still it feels really robust i don't miss it i'm not like oh like i'm not i didn't even think once during the show oh shit we lost the main event which was it was what it was glover Teixeira against uh who tiago santos Oof, jesus great match oh, seriously you put that you put if that's if that's there this is a pay-per-view Practically, I know it's not a tight. I know it's not a title fight, but it's cl- that you you put that main card up against a pay per view main card. It's a better main card. On it. you might you uh, know, it, yeah. it doesn't have a it, do, it doesn't have a strap, but for like really close, interesting. I can't wait to see what happens there. Fights between uh, great fighters who show the depth of this. You know, the UFC may may or may not be a kind of a, fa- a fascist company, but they got a lot, <laughs> they have terrific depth of roster. The thing is that like there's no major names on this card, even with that main event. 
But so as far as the pay per view, wouldn't do well. But hardcore fans should be salivating over this upcoming weekend. Uh, UFC Fight Night: Waterson versus Hill is bound to impress, man. There's going to be a lot of finishes yeah. on this one, I think. I don't actually think they're a fascist company, by the way. I was just being facetious. Uh, no, fascist is a little too far, but uh, you know they're, they're not like leagues to the left of fascism. They're in the right business, then. Yeah, <laughs> you damn fucking right. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm gonna get back. I'm gonna get back to you know what I do. Do it, bud. Good luck on the betting stuff. And next week, well, we'll talk later about how we're gonna handle that. Uh, yes, sir. We're we're gonna handle my uh, 14 wins to your eight in celebratory fashion, Nick. I, I do look forward to it. Have a good week, buddy. And I'm back for the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week was a big success. Not as big as the week before, of course. But again, we started at $300 two weeks ago. We're at $709 at this point. So we've more than doubled our bankroll in two weeks. Really happy with that. Last week, four of my bets came through, including Muniz inside the distance, Romanoff and Pereira as a parlay. Obviously, Romanoff uh, didn't fight, but the Pereira bet became a straight bet. Uh, Kelleher became a straight bet. He was also parlayed with Romanov, uh, and that was another win. St. Pru and Carol Rosa were another parlay. St. Pru came through on his own, so that became an individual bet as well. And then the only bet that I recommended that ended up losing was Pereira by KO. He ended up winning by submission, which is very unlike him, but that's a $20 loss. I'm not complaining. In total, it was $158 in wins, $20 loss, $138 in profits, which makes it 64% return on investment. Again, $709 at this point, up from $300 two weeks ago. Let's get into this week's bets. This one I had more trouble with. I'm less confident in some of these matchups than I was in the last couple of weeks, so I'm going to be a little bit more careful with how much money I'm putting on the line. Uh, This week, we are going with a little bit of a hedge bet that I have been experimenting with lately. So I'm going to put a bet on the Lee versus Matafari fight. I'm actually going to place two bets on it. I think this fight is extremely likely to go to decision, and for that reason, I'm going to bet Lee by decision at minus 140, $45 to win 32. And I'm also going to place a bet on Matafari to win that fight by decision at plus 400 for Pete's sake, $20 to win 80. So it's very simple, right? If Lee wins by decision, I have a $12 profit. Not going to change life for anyone, but it's a profit. If Matafari wins by decision, then I'm going to end up with a $35 profit. Again, I will take it. Uh, I just feel like this is fairly safe because the likelihood of one of these girls finishing the other is very low. And worst case, I lost 65 bucks if this fight ends uh, in anything before a decision. My prop bets are Nelson in the first round plus 675. I expect Nelson to get beat in this matchup. But if you look at Nelson by first round, that's really one of the only ways that he wins is usually by landing a bomb in the first round. He has so much energy and so much power early on in a fight. He's going to be the bigger, more athletic man here. And Quarantillo is, you know, a little bit slow to start. He never has a good first round. So Nelson being a strong starter, 10 bucks to win $67. I'd say that is certainly 10 bucks that I would be glad to lose if it doesn't work out. And I'll be very excited to win if that $67 profit comes through. Herman by KO. I am picking Rodriguez officially, right? But Rodriguez has a shitty chin, and Herbin has been hitting pretty hard lately, and it's just a matter of catching one shot. $10 to win $70 at plus 700. I just feel like this is a prop that 
you don't really lose a whole lot on. And if it works out, you can celebrate. Another prop bet, Mazo by KO. She lands heavy head kicks. And her opponent is notably shorter and has this kind of very hands-down style. I could see her being uh, susceptible to it. So Mazo by KO at plus 700, $10 to win 70. Again, these last three prop bets, I risked $30. In worst case, all of them lose. I'm going to be okay. But if just one of them comes through, then I've made a profit, even if the other uh, two have lost. So green by decision. I think that's really the only way he wins. He very rarely finishes an opponent. His opponent hasn't fought in a couple of years, but he's a fairly successful fighter overall. I expect that at the very least, he should be able to make it to a decision in this matchup. Green by decision, minus 105. Those are great odds. $52 to win 50 on that one. I feel fairly comfortable with that bet. And then I have two parlays for you guys. First, I have Sabina Mazzo, minus 229. And Alexander Romanov at minus 260. $60 to win 59. They're almost even odds if you combine those two people. I hope both of them can make it to fight night because I think both of them will likely win. And if I'm getting even odds for both of them to succeed here, I like that. Uh, Bobby Green and Julia Avila. I know that I already placed a uh, bet on Bobby Green here, but I like him a lot in the matchup. And I feel like you get almost even odds if you put these two together. Julia Avila is very likely to win her fight. She's just an aggressive bully. And she's fighting an opponent who might be ranked, but doesn't really have a whole lot of energy as the fight goes on. Sarge Eubanks tends to get tired in the second and more so in the third rounds. And Julia Avila will only get stronger. So $55 to win 50 on Bobby Green and Julia Avila as uh, a parlay bet. So a total of eight bets. And I'm risking a little bit more than $200, but I feel like a couple of these are fairly safe to make. Worst case, if this didn't work out and we are, you know, $200 down, we're still way ahead of where we were when we started two weeks ago. So I'll be happy with it. Um, Looking forward to discussing the results of next week's card. Quickly going to talk about the card we have coming up the following weekend. uh, UFC Fight Night Covington versus Woodley. Obviously a pretty interesting main event. I think most people expect Colby Covington to piece up Tyron Woodley, but maybe Tyron Woodley can close his eyes and hail Mary a big right hand and shut Colby's lights off. Maybe a second jaw break. I feel like a lot of MMA fans wouldn't complain about that, although I'm not wishing a broken jaw on the man, even though he's an asshole. Mackenzie Dern versus Randa Marcos. Interesting matchup. Two ground specialists. Johnny Walker's coming back against fellow prospect Ryan Spann. Although, I don't know, is Johnny Walker really a prospect anymore? We have Kevin Holland going up against Darren Stewart. That should be pretty exciting. Donald Cerrone, Nico Price. Kamzachi Mai versus Gerald Mirchard. I am into all of this right now. I literally just listed all of the top uh, several fights on the night. Randy Costa versus Journey Newsom, both guys that are known for serious knockout power. This fight is likely to end in the first or second round. We've got Mirsad Bektik going up against Eduardo Garagori. I know these are names that are maybe a little bit less known, but Garagori is an exciting stand-up fighter, and Mirsad Bektik is just all attrition, just all physicality, and not a great chin, so that could make it interesting. And outside of that, we've got Miguel Baeza, who's a serious prospect at 9-0, coming off of a big win over, I believe, Matt Brown, going up against Mickey Gal, who just got thrashed by uh, Mike Perry. So, decent card overall. Something to look forward to, I would say. And I'm very excited about this fight now coming up this weekend. And then we have a solid card after that. And then, guys, the week after that, we're going into the big one. We're going into Adesanya versus Costa. Have a great weekend.